Hello and welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. I'm Anastasia Glova, and today is Monday, January twenty second. The net neutrality fight, quiet for some time, has been raging again. Last week, a bipartisan team headed by Senators Byron Dorgan and Olympia Snow introduced a new bill that would ban network providers from prioritizing network traffic. Tom Fiery, Cato's managing editor of Regulation Magazine, who's been keeping tabs on the debate, helps us sort out the details. The net neutrality fight. It's pretty fair to say that the subject confuses most people. So, what is it about? What it's really about is the actual roadway, the actual information superhighway, and who's going to pay for it. We're becoming more and more of an internet-using society, and even more importantly, the way we're using it is requiring lots more data to fly back and forth. Think about YouTube and all the videos that they're now pumping out there. Think of ESPN showing all the sports highlights. Think about Cato Daily podcast putting our stuff out there. We're using more and more of the internet for each of these applications. Well, the internet, just like any other highway. Has only so much room before you have to start adding more lanes, or in this case, adding more fiber, fiber optics. Up to now, it hasn't been that much of a problem because a lot of the tech bubble was about putting fiber optics in and allowing information to fly back and forth. And it ended up we put in more than what we needed. So up to now, we've just been filling up blank space. But now it's getting clogged; it's getting filled up. So, either internet companies have to start putting in more fiber optics at significant expense, or else somebody else does. And so, the net neutrality fight is over who's going to pay the bill. The internet service provider companies don't want to be stuck with the bill themselves because, in a sense, they're the delivery route for someone else's stuff, namely the various websites, YouTube and ESPN and us. So they want to charge a fee to these websites that are really heavy broadband users. So they have to pay part of the cost for putting in this infrastructure. On the other hand, those websites they want what's called net neutrality. They don't want to be charged any special fee any more than, say, a little tiny text-driven, you know, Sally Homemaker's little personal website. They don't want to be charged any more than Sally Homemaker for delivering their web content. What are the main arguments for and against charging websites for bandwidth use? The main argument for charging websites. Supposedly, is this is not that much different than what we argue when we say that you should charge tolls on a roadway instead of having a gas tax. That is, the heavier users and users being the websites that are pumping out all this data, the heavier users should be charged more because they're putting more of a demand on the、uh, information superhighway, more of a demand on the infrastructure, all this fiber. So there's an argument that it's more efficient to charge YouTube. And ESPN and maybe even Cato for putting all this information out there. On the other hand, the other argument is no. The, the cost should ultimately go to the end user, the guy sitting in front of his computer,、uh, the guy downloading this stuff. That is, Comcast and AT and T and all these other people who are putting in the fiber optics, who are delivering internet service to their customers. They should bear the full cost because it's their guys at the end, their customers who are receiving this information. So the question is, whose bill should it show up on? Should it show up on YouTube's bill, and then maybe the subscribers of YouTube, or should it show up on Comcast's subscribers and their bill? Well, it seems to me that it actually makes sense to charge companies based on bandwidth used. It's not any different from charging cell phone users for minutes used, or drivers for how much gas they put in their cars, or even how many groceries you buy in a store. I used to think that exactly that the more you use, the more you should be charged. That is, you know, I have this saying I love to use: people should get what they pay for, and people should pay for what they get. But I'm beginning to wonder in this fight if it really doesn't matter, because ultimately, 
the person who's going to get charged, the guy sitting at the computer at the end of the internet, is going to get charged whether it's net neutrality or non-neutrality. Say we adopt net neutrality. Comcast can't charge YouTube, but I'm a guy at home and I watch lots and lots of YouTube. Okay, Comcast will probably have to turn to the next best option, which is to offer me as its customer maybe a premium service where I get the flow of data that I'd get now or a more basic broadband service where I get a decent flow but not as fast as what I get now, say something equivalent to a DSL, and maybe even a bare-bones system, which we already have, which we call dial-up. And remember, dial-up's only, what, $15 a month as compared to broadband, which is 45 or $50 a month. So we already have this kind of division of service for me as an end user where I can get stuff lickety, you know, super fast or stuff slow but cheaper. Why not just have simply more tiers like that with the internet service provider paying for it? On the other hand, suppose we don't have net neutrality. Suppose Comcast is allowed to charge YouTube for it. Okay, then YouTube's just simply going to start charging subscriptions to the people who visit their site or visit it frequently. And that then means, again, me at home in front of my computer watching YouTube, I'm going to pay for it. So either way, I think ultimately, whether we have net neutrality or non-neutrality, the people who are using it most heavily will end up paying for it. So I'm wondering, is this fight really all that important? If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.